the 1-0. The Shet skies it in the air out to right field. Bradley back at the wall. He leaves. Goodbye! Grand slam, Bo Bichette. One swing, blows the game wide open. Opposite field, grand slam for Bo Bichette. His second of the season soars into the Boston bullpen. The home runs are great. Grand slams are, I don't know, grander, I guess, Kevin Barker. But in the case of Bo Bichette's grand slam last night, as described by Ben Wagner, I really got the sense, based on the reaction of the Jays' dugout, based on the reaction of his teammates, especially George Springer, I really got the sense there is a significance to the fact that Bo, who had been, let's let's be clear, he has not had the best start to the season. No reason to panic, but he's not had the best start to the season. He's had some defensive issues we've talked about. I've got to think that seeing Bo get that home run was especially satisfying for a lot of folks on that team. So you're saying that, excuse me, they've had conversations on plane rides and and, and in cages and, and standing around the, the batting cage about what's going on with Bo and, and how to fix Bo and to get Bo I don't know if and I, things like that. I mean, that. I don't know if I'd say, I mean, I'm sure they have. Look, you know, we've been down there. We know that, um, we know what that team is like. Everybody talks to everybody about everything and they all... They all have a vested interest in the success of each other, which is one of the things that 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 makes this group that makes this group so special. So I'm I'm sure they've I'm sure Bo has been in the cage with George and Vladdy, and they've talked about it. But just just seeing him do that at that moment against that team, um, given you know we talked about this, he's not had the best. It's not been the best week for Bo defensively. I just think that there are some there are some hits in a season, some plays in a season that resonate beyond oh, it simply won a game for us, or that was simply a grand slam. I think the timing, the situation, the guy who does it, I think this this plays a role in how significant something really is. Well, I think to your point, it, it should tell Bo that if he gets a good pitch to hit because of his mechanics, and and he's very aggressive hitter, uh, and sometimes because of how aggressive he is, he loses balance a lot. You see that backside falling across the plate. Even on the grand slam he hit, the backside was falling across the plate. To be an inside-out hitter thinking always to right center, and then you pull by mistake, you got to have good balance with your lower half, and that a lot of the times comes by what you're swinging at, and you know, he's been chasing a little bit more than, than normal, I think. You know, nor, he is very aggressive a lot of the times or most of the time, but it doesn't show up because a lot of the times he's hitting those balls hard just because those balls are a little bit more on the plate. And early in the season, maybe he's pressing. Maybe the Teoscar thing, not being there, he thinks he needs to pick up the slack. He's seeing how they're pitching to Vladdy. Uh, he's noticing that, you know, sometimes defensively hasn't been great. And yeah. further to your point, I just think when, when you go up and, and simplify it as much that I just get a good pitch to hit. I get a ball on the plate, and everything else, because I'm a really good hitter, will take care of itself. And maybe running around the bases, I know I've been there. Everybody struggled in any sport that you've ever played in. You don't have to play at the highest level to have struggled at something that you work very hard at and want to be great at. 
And I'm sure running around the bases, because I know I've done it, I've been there, running around the bases is sort of like, oh, man, finally, all the work that I've been doing in the cage and all the thinking that I've been doing about this laying in my bed at night, it's finally paid off. And now we can just take a little pressure off and hopefully, you know, it's, it's as simple as get a good pitch to hit. The Blue Jays beat the Red Sox 6-2 last night in the first of a four-game series at the Rogers Center. Jose Barrios, another Jose Barrios-type start. And we talked about this in Blue Jays talk a bit yesterday, Kevin. The thing that excites me about this team and this, you know, they're 11-6 they're and six right now. Uh, the thing that really excites me about this team is we, I don't believe, with the exception of Kevin Gossman's last outing, which was brilliant against the Boston Red Sox. I still don't think we have seen the very best Jose Barrios and the very best Alec Manoa. I think they're still kind of finding their way. And when you can get off to the type of start the Jays have gotten off to, given the fact you lost one member of your starting rotation, given the fact you say Kikuchi is very much a work in progress, Given the fact, as I said, that Manoa and, and Barrios, as good as they are, as good as they've been, they we know that they can get better. Oh, yeah, you don't have Teoscar. You don't have Danny Jansen. And we talked about the importance of a, of, a, of a hot start to the year. This is pretty good. This is a pretty good start for this team. Yeah, it's a great start. It's more for me. It's playoff teams, good teams find ways to win when everything's not clicking the way it should be clicking or the way they expect it to be clicking. And further to your point, Barrios, you know, until last night, out of the windup had been, I don't want to say awful, that's a strong word, but he had had real issues of, you know, maybe it's a little bit longer stride. Uh, it looked to me like the, the, the elbow and the hand are, are late getting out front. That would, you know, the, the well, every time you see a lot of pitchers going up and into a righty, up and away to a lefty and choking off a secondary pitch, that usually means something playing catch up. And a lot of the times with, with him especially, he's got to gather. He's, and last night I think he just made a deliberate effort to – you noticed how deliberate the, the little pause was whenever he would go through his windup. It's very simple, but he would step, he would set it, he would feel the, the weight over the rubber, and then he would start his windup. And I think just that little move, at least for me anyway, got him a, a little bit more in tune and, and allowed him to, to be dominant. Uh, out of the windup, uh, hitters were three for 19 with him in the windup with four strikeouts. That's that's exactly the way I think Barrios is looking. And even with not having his sinker, you know, he hasn't had his sinker the last two games. And right. for him to be able to get through games like this, I think he has to have the windup. It adds deception. It adds a little bit element, more element of I'm pick, trying to pick up spin if I'm a hitter. He's a spin first guy. Now, mm-hmm. you know, you're spinning the sinker. You're spinning the, the curveball the other way. Even the changeup has some spin sink to it. So he is a spin guy. And for a hitter to have all of that other stuff to worry about on top of worrying about the spin and, and not trying to chase. That was a step forward. And, yeah, further to your point, when you don't have your best stuff and you're still going six and seven innings, that's that's pretty awesome. And you made the point last night as well that in addition to seeing a much better Jose Brios from the windup, he also did a much better job against left-handed hitters. Yeah, lefties last night were coming in hitting 500 with an OPS of over 1,400 against him. And the first thing I looked at when I looked at the Red Sox lineup is how many lefties were in there. You know, they had three guys in there. Mm-hmm. They were 0 for 7 with a walk against him. That's 
That's what you have to do. You have to get rid of the lefty somehow, whether that's the elevated fastball into a lefty, the changeup, which he did sprinkle in third time through. He saved his changeup for that third time through, which is kind of nice. The arm speed, the location on that. He had enough late movement to it that, you know, when he threw it, it was in a good spot and it had good arm speed to it. And it was, it was tough for those guys to pick it up and, when he's got that working, you know, give them something else to think about. That's it, it's sort of total package because I think we're getting to the point where we got the big three for the Blue Jays. You expect them to go at least six innings. Well, at mm-hmm. least I do. Every mm-hmm. time they go to the mound, Gosman's got to figure out the split finger, uh, the location. He gets the elevated fastball that looks like a strike. You can start getting that. Now you're starting to see the seven and the eight inning outings. Yep. But I don't know about you. Every time I ex- those three guys take the mound, I expect at least six or seven innings from them. And to see them doing it the way they're doing it with not their best stuff, to work through it and figure it out and all the thought that goes into it. And give Alejandro Kirk credit. Did you even notice that he was behind the plate last night? I didn't. And I, I think that's about... he's sort of the, a, a good a good catcher to me anyway. It's like a good, um, good umpire. You never know they're back there. You know, I was about to make that point as well. It's something that uh, Ross Atkins joins us at 11.15 and something I want to talk to Ross about. I, I, will, I will admit that... Um, I shouldn't say I'm surprised that Alejandro Kirk has been able to do what he's done behind the plate. I, everybody in the organization that you talk to, people whose opinion I certainly trust, all told me very, very clearly that they had no concerns about Alejandro Kirk behind the plate. Yes, Danny Jansen is probably a superior defensive catcher in terms of total package, but when it comes to handling the low pitch and calling, maybe not calling the game, when it comes to handling the low pitch and receiving the ball, the Jays are quite comfortable with Alejandro Kirk. And look, we said that uh, this is a chance to get a read on Alejandro Kirk. We know about the 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 bat the ball skills. We know that he doesn't swing and miss. We get all that. You can you can even when he isn't putting up numbers offensively, you can tell by watching him at the plate what he's about offensively, and you can see why that excites so many people. This is a kid that only made forty eight starts behind the plate in the majors coming into coming into this year. Now he's been given the job because of Danny Jansen's injury, and and you're right. I don't notice him back behind the plate. I don't notice him making mistakes. I don't notice him costing the pit, costing the pitcher strikes. I just notice a bunch of guys pitching really well against really good teams with really good hitters, and, and, and you're right. They're, um, we're learning a lot about Alejandro Kirk, and it's all good. It's we, all we are, good. Remember, too, when Danny Jansen was trying to become the everyday starting catcher, how his offense suffered. Like, it was almost like you have so much of a burden to get every single one of these guys through a game, big moments. You're seeing a little left from Kirk. For me, it looks like anyway offensively, he's more worried about getting defensive-wise pitchers through games, and that offensive side may be suffering. I have no idea how much extra work he's taking offensively and balls and taking balls off the tee and soft toss and other things. I have no idea. I can ask and find that out. But it just seems like, for me anyway, he's late a lot offensively, and that sort of looked like Danny Jansen last year when, when he was trying to establish himself as the everyday catcher, and it is sort of 
all the things that they're asking catchers to do nowadays with all the pitch calm and, and figuring out the moods of different pitchers and what if he doesn't have his sinker? Now what do I do? So it's a whole different ball game, and I think you're starting to see a little bit more of that from Kirk. And maybe we give him a little bit of a break when it comes to his offensive side of the ball because of the way he's taking off defensively. Yeah, I'm not I, – listen, I am, I am not – I am not worried about Alejandro Kirk. I, I I am excited because we know with Gabriel Moreno coming and with Danny Jansen here and Alejandro Kirk, I mean, there's just not going to be enough innings for these three catchers. So at some point, I think all of us expect either Kirk or Jansen will be moved. At some point, I'm not saying this year, but... This is giving us a chance to know a little more about Alejandro Kirk. And, Kevin, if you said to me right now, if you said to me right now that the Jays are going to have Alejandro Kirk behind the plate for the rest of the year, I might be more okay with it than I was than I was a month ago. And that's good because we're finding stuff out about guys in this team. Matt Chapman, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., also homered yesterday. And Kevin, I want to talk about the start of the inning that 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 saw the grand slam by Bo Bichette. Rymel Tapia grounds out. Santiago Espinal, who, as Dan and, and Tabby both said yesterday, leads the Jays in pitches seen per plate appearance, which put your hand up if you thought that was going to happen. He singles. Bradley Zimmer drops a bunt. Yes, it's an error on, uh, on the first baseman. Or the first baseman should have made the play. Bobby Dalbeck should have made the play. But again... One of the other themes in the Jays' success recently, Kevin, is that the bottom of the order has always been in the middle of stuff. It hasn't always been the part of the team that's delivered the big hit, but it's been in the middle of stuff. It's gotten on base. It's, it's, it's forced relievers especially to throw a lot of pitches. Yeah, Espinal's been... You know, more than advertised, I think. he He's taken it and ran with it. And for for players to do things that you expect them to do when, you know, going into spring training, did you really know that this is what we're going to get from Santiago Espinal? Like, you know, the, the pitches per plate appearance, I'm not real sure what to read into that. Sometimes I don't know if that's a good thing because you well, may be our getting friend JD good pitches to, talk to hit. About, right, J.D. Yeah, yeah, used you to talk about that. It's, it, 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 it's great if I – Everybody gets excited when I see nine pitches in a plate appearance, but he said if I swung and missed at the second pitch and that was the best pitch to hit, it, to me it's a lost plate appearance. Yeah, there you go. But I will say this on the, on the defensive side of the ball, when the ball's hit to him, I'm okay. Like I, I feel yeah. like no matter oh, what yeah. the situation is, that, hit, that runner, that hitter's out. And that's exactly what you want. Uh, you know, a, a really good infield, especially a team that's trying to contend like yeah. the Blue Jays are. You want guys that when the ball's hit, it's routine that 99.9% .9 of the time they're out. Uh, you know, I, again, I, this is sort of the final product when it comes to you play to the scoreboard. You you, you have your bats accordingly. You you play defense according to that. You 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 try and you know do things that will tell you okay if if uh, it's like the Lourdes Gurriel Jr. when when uh, Brantley was hitting that ball down the left field line with a with right. a. 
tie score in the eighth inning. Why would you die for that ball? Let the scoreboard tell you that you're trying to keep that guy at first base. You don't want to die for that. Now, Brantley made an atrocious base running mistake and got thrown out of third base, in my mind, with three, four, five kind of late in the game. You don't never do that. You're in scoring position already at second base. But I'm just saying those are the little things. I mentioned how do you win the American League East when all four teams could win it right now? Like, they're all bunched up that that good you have to do the little things and the little things for me are are you know having your at bats to the scoreboard playing defense to the scoreboard how you call games according to the scoreboard and you're starting to see a little bit more of this you're starting to see players on the blue jays not have to look over in the dugout and have a manager or a or a bench coach or one of their coaches tell them what to do they already know what to do when they walk to the plate and that's what winning teams do and it's nice to see Let's talk a little bit about uh, about Adam Simber yesterday. And this is not the pile on Adam Simber by any stretch of the imagination, but we want to talk about the Blue Jays' bullpen, which has been a strength for the team this year, certainly in comparison to last year. And we went through the numbers yesterday on the show. Uh, they're among the league leaders in whip, opponents average against. They're comfortably in the middle in terms of innings pitched, which is what you like to see. You don't like to see your bullpen getting too taxed too early in the year. They don't walk a lot, but there isn't a lot of swing and miss in the bullpen. And again, I'm not painting this as a negative. I'm stating this as a fact, Kevin, so we can talk about the decision to go to Adam Simber uh, yesterday. So I had no problem with Brios going out to start the inning. That's fine. I mean, I think it, the same thing. You've got enough confidence in him and Kevin Gossman. You want to give them a chance to. You want to give them a chance to finish to finish things off. So. Adam Simber comes in yesterday. Uh, we have said, or we said earlier in the year, that we thought Charlie had kind of, it's almost as if they'd kind of split the bullpen into two groups. And I, I'm not going to denigrate anybody here by saying it, but essentially it was almost like it was an A group and a B group. I know we can talk, bad way of picking it because A and B suggest one sucks and one is good. But there were two parts of the bullpen and there were some guys who would straddle. A guy like David Phelps would straddle that. Ross Stripling, and he was there, would straddle that. Now he's in the rotation. Uh, but I'm getting the sense now, Kevin, that Charlie, there's a little more confidence based on what we've seen from Trent Thornton, based on some of the velo we've seen from Julian Merriweather. So they've got a bullpen, and we know that at some point they're, they're going to lose relievers because the rosters are going to contract. Talk about why Adam Simber in that situation last night and, and what have you been able to see about how Charlie and Pete and John and Matt Bushman, how they view their bullpen in a bigger picture? Okay, let's think about this now. You, you have to look at situation. Who's coming up when the guy's coming in the game? The, the next four hitters for the Red Sox were three right-handed hitters and a left-handed hitter sprinkled in between the three other right-handed hitters. So you're wanting a righty pitcher. You don't you don't want to bring in Tim Mesa or Ryan Barucki. That just doesn't make a ton of sense. So it's going to be right-handed. And then you start thinking, well, who's available? 
Jimmy Garcia had pitched two days in a row, probably not available. David Felt, two days in a row, probably not available. And he looked, by uh, the way, at, at, and Dan and Pat both mentioned, Sunday, David Phelps was working through that inning. That was 23 pitches. You could tell he was going to the rosin bag it, after every pitch. He was he was gassed. Yeah, it's all, it's awfully early. You could tell Pete Walker's just not wanting to run these guys out there three right. days in a row unless he has to. It's just not going to happen. And and Jordan Romano's pitching the ninth inning. So Jordan Romano's not coming in in the eighth inning to, to have that situation. He's not going to go multiple innings. not going to go six or seven batters. He's not going to have an up and down this early in the season. It's not going to happen. So you basically would have three choices. Adam Simber, Trevor Richards, who had, had pitched one time in four days going into yesterday, and Julian Merriweather. Julian Merriweather, for me, that's that's not a topic. They don't feel comfortable enough in him. Uh, you not can tell yet. when they're bringing him in, in in the game. He's got a big lead, or it's early in the game. Remember that. I think they brought him in the fifth inning the other day, and then they're bringing him in with a four-run lead last night. So you can understand why they're bringing him in. So they're not going to bring him in. They're not bringing the two guys in who pitched back-to-back days. You're probably not bringing in Trevor Richards. Uh, just because I think the changeup probably doesn't play. They're trying to bring deception with the weird arm angle, and they know Adam Simber is really good against left-handed hitting. The one thing that does stand out to you is the lack of – or the, the, you know, not being able to punch people out. You come in a game, every once in a while you need that guy that's got swing and miss stuff. That strike the ball, the high-octane velocity with a devastating secondary pitch. Jordan Romano has a little bit of that with the elevated fastball. And when he's throwing enough strikes to get you chasing the slider, then I'm assuming that's probably the guy you're talking about, the biggest swing and miss out of the bullpen. But then there's everybody else. Even Jimmy Garcia, he's got five pitches. Guys with five pitches aren't going to punch out a bunch of people because right. normally a lot of those, a couple of those pitches ain't going to work. You know, you got lefty and righty coming up and he's trying to work two different pitches or three different pitches to a lefty and two or three different pitches to a righty. You just, you know, can't locate enough and, and be mechanically sound enough to get a bunch of swing and misses that way. So for me, they brought in the right guy according to who was available and who was coming up. And for me, that's exactly, especially early in the season, you mentioned it, they had been pitching a lot, and you're trying to get through to get to Romano. That was the whole point in that. If you can get Adam Simber, if you give up a run, you still have the lead. Romano comes in the game, he's going to do his thing with a clean inning. Right, So that's the whole thought process in what Petey's trying to figure out, and Petey's relaying that to Charlie, and they're trying to make the right decision. For me, they made the right decision. It's just it's not Adam Simber's fault that he's not a swing and miss guy. He's no, a contact you want, guy. And, and the other thing, too, with Adam Simber is you've got to like your chances. You think you've got a good chance of getting a ground ball and perhaps, and, and, and perhaps getting a double play, and you got, uh, you got the ground ball. It just happened to go whoosh, just happened to be shot down the left field line. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was more of a line drive for me than it was a, a ground ball. I know it, it it left the bat pretty hard. Uh, you know, Adam Simber for me is good when he's outer thirds. He misses middle early and counts. He's going to get hammered. Like, that's because he doesn't throw very hard. And that down there, lower cooking, if you can get it out front and create – you know, a little bit of contact with the barrel, you're going to hit that ball hard somewhere. And remember, the Red Sox got a good lineup, especially the top of the order there. You got to make some quality pitches when you're coming out of that bullpen and you don't locate exactly the way you want to. You know, this this is exactly why you have a team, is teams tend to pick guys up when they come in the games and don't make the quality pitch that they want to make. 
And this is, you know, this is what the Blue Jays are having. I said this since day one. They have to have home field advantage. They got to be 20 games above 500 to win the American League East at home. Can they do that? They're five and two at home. Like this, there's got to be a little bit of people dreading to come to the Rogers Center to play, and I think they're starting to establish that with the offense and the crowd noise, and you know, just just by the way that that you're seeing the pitchers using the pitch com, and they're having to hold their hand their hand over their ear to hear. That's home field advantage, and the more you get of that, the more people dread coming in here to play. And you know, it's 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 for the most part, I think if if you get if you grade Charlie and Petey on who they're going to, right now you'd have to give them an A. At least I do. Oh, absolutely. Um, we talked about how using the bullpen is one of the ways, I think in some ways, the ultimate measure of a manager. And, um, yeah, they've more often than not, they've called the right number. I mean, it, it's, it's compared to what we saw at times last year. Uh, well, and, you know, I'm beginning to realize now, you look at, you, you look at the, the, the difference between this year's bullpen and last year's bullpen, and I'm really, I really am realizing now how much, when the Jays went out and signed Kirby Yates last year, how much they were counting on him to be part of that, to be an important part of that bullpen. If you picture a healthy Kirby Yates doing what Kirby Yates did a couple of years ago, uh, in that bullpen last year, you, you you can see where the difference would be made, and I think in some ways you're seeing that with Jimmy Garcia is 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 doing what. Uh, is doing what Kirby Yates could have done for them last year. Fans got to remember, every time they see a a guy running out of that bullpen, uh, the first thing they got to ask themselves is not why is that guy running out of the bullpen. Ask themselves, who is available? That's the first thing you got to figure out. And for me, that screamed Jimmy Garcia last night. You got runners on base. He's got quality stuff. He got a little bit for everybody. He can get you out in in one way or the other. That screamed him, and he likes the big moment, right? He's got a little that Alec Manoa coming out of the bullpen in him. And for me, that would have screamed him. But the the back-to-back day is probably not available, and you go to to Adam Simber and – you know that that's why you you surround your everyday guys with a lot of you know young athletic superstars like they have. So if you give up a run late in the game, now you got Boba Shett coming up with the bases loaded, and he can go back Lake City. We have a pair of Blue Jays tickets we will give away later on in the show. As we mentioned, Ross Atkins, Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations and General Manager. The Toronto Blue Jays will be along at 11.15. We have Barker's back leg bits. DMs are open. If you've got a question for Kevin Barker about last night's game or about the Jays season or baseball in general, my Twitter handle is SNJeffBlair. I don't think Elon Musk has taken that away from me yet. So if you want to DM us, please uh, please do so. DMs are open. Dan Schulman is the TV voice of the Blue Jays. He, of course, had the call of last night's game. He'll join us next. This is Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. All right, a reminder that you can catch Blair and Barker wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. We're live from 10 to noon Eastern every weekday. We will be back on Sportsnet 360 on Monday and of course you can always join Kevin and myself for Blue Jays talk immediately following every Blue Jays 
home game. Ross Atkins, the general manager of the Blue Jays, joins us in the second hour. We've also got a pair of tickets to give away in the 11 o'clock hour as well. But first, let's bring in the TV voice of the Blue Jays, our very good friend, Dan Schulman. Dan, thank you for joining Kevin and myself. We trust we trust you're doing well. You sure sounded you sounded in postseason form last night in that slam, my friend. You know what? I'll tell you, a couple of us were talking on the crew. Like, all of these games have been so fun, you know, so close. Uh, I think, a, well, I guess last night doesn't count because they won by four. But it was, you know, it was a close game. It was at the bottom of the eighth inning. They feel like playoff games. It was obviously a very crisp game last night, two hours and 16 minutes. And we're just having a great time. Like, if... If if you don't if you don't like watching this team play baseball, you know you I guess you don't like baseball because they're good and they're fun and they're easy to root for and uh, yeah well, I'm I'm having a lot of fun right now I won't lie. Dan, whenever I saw Bo hit the homer and he went in the, in the dugout and everybody's jumping around him and they understood you know what he'd been going through and how big of a hit that was not only for him but for the team and I started thinking to myself how many teams I played on a bazillion teams in my career as you know as many winter ball teams as I was on in, in, in the United States but I was thinking to myself have you ever seen a team that everybody 28 guys like each other I know I, like I, I was never like that when I was on a team yeah not not like this and and I you know I hope people don't roll their eyes and say oh well you're just covering their game so you're saying that like I mean it like not like this and and we talk about it on our crew sometimes too uh, I mean you guys know everybody that we work with like we take shots of the dugout a lot you know you say you see Teoscar and and Guriel and Vladdy a lot you see Springer and Bo a lot that you see Manoa a lot and the feedback we've gotten, and this is the way we feel, is people love this kind of stuff because um, they genuinely love each other, 1 through 28 on this team, and it's supposed to be fun. There's enough other bad stuff going on in the world that, you know, it's okay to have a little fun, and, and uh, I think people love seeing this, and I've never seen a group where, you know, we're all, you know, Jeff, you've been doing this longer than I have. Like, as members of the media, you could never say, well, I walked into a baseball clubhouse, and every guy's a good guy. Every guy's a good guy in this clubhouse. That yeah. has not always been the case. It wasn't the case a few years ago, but every guy's a good guy in that, in that clubhouse. It makes our jobs a little bit easier and a little more fun, but I think for the viewers, I get a ton of fun, a uh, ton of feedback on, um, you know, you need a you need another camera just dedicated to the barrio, you know, stuff like that. You need a barrio cam, barrio and, cam, <laughs> a barrio cam, yeah. <laughs> um, but people like this, and and when Troy Clare, our director, puts up a shot, he'll just say to me like, "Hijinks in the dugout," and 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 you know, because he can communicate with me in my headset, and I'll know one second later something's coming, and and we just kind of play along with it in the moment, and and I think that's one of the reasons people like them so much. Yeah, you got to win, but I think people also love seeing how much they all get along. Yeah, listen, I mean, I've got a, I've got a couple of thoughts about that. The first is I usually I make it a habit to listen to one inning of the visiting broadcast every game just so I can get a sense of what their broadcasters are seeing, especially their starting pitcher. But I I I listened to the 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 Oakland Athletics crew when they were here. Dallas Braden was on. And Dallas Braden was talking about the home run jacket and just loving it. And, and yeah. I, I think people need to understand that it's not just that there, there are people in baseball who like what the Blue Jays are doing. And Dallas Braden's line was great because uh, his, his partner, I, I, I've got a brain cramp right now. Whoever his partner was said to him, 
Uh, what do you Kuiper. think of the stuff? Yeah, what do you think yep. of stuff like that going on in the bull, uh, going on in the dugout? He said, "I'll tell you what. I'd rather have someone put a jacket on somebody than put them in a cart and wheel them down the dugout." That I, I don't agree. get. <laughs> I agree. This looks like fun. So yeah. I was going to say that, um, and yeah, it's. I, I think it's a reason. I mean, you look at the TV numbers. You look at the national media attention this team gets. I just don't think there's anything wrong with accepting the fact that it's a likable group. I yeah, just don't. It, it's yeah. It, it's funny if you go back, say three years when Bo and Vladdy uh, and Kevin Biggio came up. Like the story at that point was these promising young players with famous last names. Like that's where we were three years ago, right? If they mm-hmm. if they had been named, you know, Smith and, and Jones and Davis. They wouldn't have gotten quite the attention, but they were Guerrero, Bichette, and Biggio, and they got a ton of attention. But the story has evolved over the years. It's not so much about Vlad Sr. and Dante and uh, anymore, right? It's about it's about them. It's about how good they are, how fun they are, and don't look now, but they added a Springer and a Barrios and a Gosman, and, and they're a legitimate contender right now. We're only 17 games in. You don't want to get carried away with anything, but... You know, I've said this before, so forgive me if I've said this to you guys because I can't remember. I think if you held a poll in the United States, baseball fans, and said, who's your second favorite team? Like, everybody's got a favorite team. Who's your second favorite team? If your team's not on, who are you going to look for on TV? I think the Blue Jays would win that poll. I really do. Because um, if you don't have, um, you know, a vested interest in the game, why wouldn't you turn on this team? And, and oh, Vladdy's up soon or Bo's up soon, and look at how much fun they're having in the dugout. I think they're they're good for the game. And you know what they never do? They don't taunt anybody. They just have fun. That's right. Whatever, wherever that line is that you want to draw, they're on the right side of the line. Um, and I, you know what's funny? After the game last night, I went out with a buddy. We watched the, the end of the Raptor game. And I'm seeing, like, Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi, whoever it was, doing, the, like, the peanut butter and jam commercial that we've seen with the Raptors forever. Mm-hmm. Like, when are Bo and Vladdy getting in commercials? Like, let's get these Blue Jays <laughs> out there a little bit more. You can't tell me if you're running Company X, Company Y, Company Z, you don't want you don't want Lourdes Gurriel or Teoscar Hernandez or Bo Bichette in commercials for you. I, I mean, these guys are recognizable. Everybody knows who they are. Everybody loves them. And, and I think it's great that um, they're playing well and our ratings have been great and that people are on board with this team. Kind of screams hair product, doesn't it? Yeah, for Bo. Yeah, they, yeah. There should be a lot of hair product in that. Yeah, Lourdes and Bo could do a nice hair product commercial, I think. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning of the season, Jeff was asking me what I thought it would take for the Jays to win the American League East, and I was telling him the obvious things. But I said, the, I think the last thing I said to Jeff was that Charlie had to have his best managerial season. Now, this may not be a fair question 17 games in, but if you had to grade Charlie early in the season, you know, most managers are graded on how they handle the bullpen. I, right. I give him an A. How would you grade him? I would give him an A, too. And it's a... Uh... There's a bit of a chicken and egg, right? The better your bullpen, the better the manager looks, the better the, you know, if you have a good bullpen, your moves are easier. But I think Charlie's doing a great job putting them in the right situations. And, and he'd be the first to tell you his life is easier with a better bullpen. And if, and if you had said to me a month ago, Kevin, what has to happen for this team to win more games and to win the division, the first thing I would have said is the bullpen's got to be better. Like, you know, Vladdy is is incredible can he be that much better than last year can Bo be that much better than last year like if you're looking for areas of obvious improvement to me there were two it's a full year of Barrios and Manoa which they didn't have last year and it's the bullpen and the bullpen's been great and I think Charlie has done a great job with him I've sat in his office a couple of times and kind of had like little off the record bullpen conversations just about 
you know, mapping it out and plan A, plan B, plan C, why this guy there, that guy there. Like even something that most people wouldn't think of, but we should all think this way because they do this all the time. The day Romano was down, where was that? That was in Houston, I believe. The day Romano was down and he's got Simber and he's got Garcia. Like the old way of doing it is, well, Garcia's my number two guy, so he'll get the ninth inning. You know, he's my backup closer. But that's not how they do it anymore. It was the top of the order coming up in the eighth inning. So, And Jimmy Garcia's the guy they wanted against the best hitters in the Houston lineup. He got the eighth inning. Then Adam Simber got the save. And I think that was the game where Vladdy caught the screaming liner at the end yes, of the game, if yep. I'm not mistaken, right? But, yep. but this is, uh, you know, another example of Charlie and Pete Walker and John Schneider collaborating and putting people in the best spot to succeed. And I, I think Charlie's bullpen management um, has been excellent this year, and I think he is putting people um, in the right position to succeed. You know, there's some risk-taking involved. Like, he brings in Ryan Barucki. Mesa was down, one whatever game that was. He brings in Barucki for his first appearance of the season to face Michael Brantley in Houston. If he doesn't get Brantley, he's got to face Bregman, which is probably not a great, you know, your your best matchup. For Baraki, but sometimes you got to throw him out there and see what they do. And, and um, I, I think he's done. I think he's done a terrific job. You know, he's put Thornton in good spots. He's putting Merriweather in good spots. I think, it, and, and I think everybody's on board too. It's not so much about who gets the save. It's just everybody doing their share to try to help the team win a game. Yeah, you mentioned Ryan Barucki. I don't want to ask you how you think they're going to use him. I want to ask you how they th- you think they want to use him. I think they want to use him as the, you know, the sixth inning lefty, right? The, so if you're playing yeah. Houston this weekend, for example, and you know you've got Brantley two, Alvarez four, Tucker six. It's interesting. Both Boston and Houston are tough because they go first, like because they're Boston and Houston, but then they go right, left, right, left, right, left, top six, right? So let's talk about Houston. Brantley two, Alvarez four, Tucker six. Um, if your starting pitcher goes five innings and those guys are coming up in the sixth inning, if if it's two three four or four five six, I think that's when you could see Barucki. Let me get him in there for three batters, two of whom are lefties. That, I I think that's the way they use him. And then in the seventh inning, now you're at the bottom of the order. Maybe Simber comes in and does the seventh. Now in the eighth inning, you're back up to Brantley, Bregman, Alvarez again. Maybe Mesa comes in then, and then you've got Romano in the ninth. It, it's I know Charlie believes, and you can see in his moves, that sometimes whether it's, say, Mesa or Simber, is is it left-right-left left or right-left-right? Right? It's as simple as that sometimes. Um, now, he will tell you Mesa can get righties out and Simber can get lefties out, and that's true. Barucki, I think they feel much more comfortable with him against lefties than righties at this point. Like, he's got to go back out there and start doing it again. So uh, I think, Kevin, it's as simple as fifth, sixth inning, when you know of the three batters he's got to face, two of them are going to be lefties. Jose Barrios last night, seven innings pitched, five hits, two earned runs, four strikeouts, one walk. Um, Some hard contact early. Uh, A rather dicey situation in the second inning that he got out of with some, with some some good defense. Uh, that was his second start against the Red Sox in the span of five days. 
Did you see anything? Because I know that was one of the talking points, and you guys talked about it in the game in Boston. That hey, this is his next start is going to be against Boston as well. It will be interesting to see if there's any change in approach, or you know, if he if he if he varies something. Did you notice anything different about how he approached the Red Sox last night compared to the previous start, Dan? No, I, I don't think so. I think his command was better. Um, I mean, he made when he made mistakes. Uh, maybe I should say his control was better. When he made mistakes, he made mistakes in the zone, not off the zone. So, And like you said, Jeff, there was hard contact. I, I know I said at one point it was before Guriel's home run, so maybe fourth or fifth inning, right. where um, eight of the nine hardest hit balls in the game had been from the Red Sox, and it was 0-0. Like, those were two hard hit balls in the first. The comebacker to the mound that he started the double play on was a hard hit ball. There was all kinds of hard contact, um, you know, not to take away from anything he did or the 11 and six record that they have. But I think the baseball gods have been on the Blue Jays side a little bit, like even the ball down the left field line. Tapia goes over into foul territory, has about two feet between the line and the netting, and he makes the catch. And, you know, that ball could hit the netting and the guy, whoever the hitter was gets another chance. I, I think some of the little things that go unnoticed sometimes, like the Simber pitch that got hit to Vladdy, Aledmus Diaz hit, he smoked that ball, and he hit it right at Vladdy. And, and uh, so I, I think the baseball gods have been on their side a little bit. But what I love about Jose Barrios, and he's done it two starts in a row now, you can't tell if he's up 6 nothing or down 6 nothing if there are two outs and nobody on or nobody out and the bases loaded. He's a, he's a low heart rate. He's a pro. He's really a pro. Like, he's as steady and dependable as, as there is, and he just goes out there and, and keeps trying to make pitches. And, and to face the same team twice in a row is, is no day at the beach, even if they are struggling right now. And, and I give him a lot of credit for throwing as many strikes as he did, and they needed seven innings last night. They had a lot of guys in the bullpen who were not available. So, uh, to me, he's getting better and better every start, and I think we're going to look up at the end of the year and we're going to say, wow, did he have a really good season. Dan, do you think we give Lourdes enough credit? Uh, offensively or overall? Yeah, you know, he's a slow starter. And yeah. just to hear him yep. talk and, and the adjustments he's made by moving off the plate and just little things to that he knows, you know, it's a sense of urgency now. It's, yeah. we got to get off to a good start. Do you think we talk yeah. about him enough? Uh, I have tried a couple of times to point out when he takes that slider down and away, it's maybe four inches outside and two inches low by the time it's caught by the catcher. You know, two years ago, he's out on that pitch. Like, it's not even a conversation. He's out. He's chasing it. And I've tried every now and again to, to say that, like, that's a pitch he wouldn't have taken two years ago. And it seems like more often than not, after he takes that pitch, he does something good on the next pitch. Because now they got to come. They, they've tried to get him to chase. He won't do it. And now they got to come in on the zone. So, um, you know, you look at his overall numbers. I think in his career, he's a over an 800 OPS guy, which is really good in this day and age. Like average in baseball this year, I think it's under 700 at the moment, and he's a career over 800 guy. Um, I always, not always, I often wonder, you know, what if you took that, that hot streak that he has every year, what if he was that guy for a whole season? And maybe that's not yeah. fair to him because people aren't like that. 
But his hot is it's right up there with anybody's hot streaks on this team. You know, when Bo's hot, he's ridiculously hot. Vladdy's Vladdy, obviously. But Guriel's hot streaks are right there. Um, he's a really good player to be, and let's call him the number five hitter once, you know, because once Teoscar comes back, he's a really good player um, to be hitting fifth. I think he's gotten better in the outfield. Um, you know, some of his routes are still occasionally, uh, you know, you raise an eyebrow. We know about the arm. It's great. Um, and, and I think he's an important part of the of the kind of the emotional core of the team. Again, not to overplay the barrio and the stuff we see in the dugout, but you know he'll pick up Teoscar when he needs it or Espinal, and and they they all take care of each other. Like that bear hug that Springer gave Bo last, I thought it was fascinating. Actually, <laughs> and I know I'm veering way off course here, so I apologize. But like there was no bravado in Bo Bichette when he was running around the bases after that home run last night. That was a that was um, a run around the bases of a guy who's been struggling and knows he's been struggling. And not that it was, a, I'm saying, a huge weight off his shoulders or anything, but, you know, we've seen Bo when he's hit some big home runs. We, we had a different reaction last night. Mm-hmm. And then the bear hug that Springer gave him was almost like a big brother hugging a little brother saying, I knew you had it in you. Like, I kept believing in you, believe in yourself, and, and I'll try to find out what he said today. But uh, I think they all are there for each other in the tough moments. And I think getting back to Guriel, I think he's an important part of that. And, and I do think, Kevin, at some point there's going to be a year where he hits over 300 and, you know, is it like an 880 OPS guy and, you know, might knock in 100 runs hitting in this lineup where he hits. He's, he's really good. If he can stay patient and stay with his game plan – um, he's going to do a lot of damage. The ball comes off his bat pretty hard. I like what you said about Bo. I remember it reminds me of something Larry Walker once told me. And Larry Walker said one time that, you know, sometimes it's just a good idea to run around the bases and get back into the dugout. That's <laughs> yeah. how he put it. You know, don't act it up. Just run around the bases, get back into the dugout. Yeah, but they, and I think that's how Bo was feeling. Because, yeah. you know, Bo, you guys know this. I mean, Bo wakes up every morning saying, what can I do today to be the best player in the world? What do I have to do better? What can I work on more? He grinds, right? And, um, and and I'm sure it's been a frustrating three weeks for him because he hasn't been able to produce like he knows he is able to produce. So I thought to deliver that hit in that moment, uh, at home especially, um, where you're getting that ovation and you know you got the jacket waiting and your, your teammates waiting for him, I, you know, it, it's cliche to say, but maybe that will uh, you know, get him going on a hot streak right now. Last question for us before we let you run. You talked about uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr.'s OPS and about the OPS in general in baseball right now. Obviously, offense is down. That's one of the talking points. It seems that the first month of the season, we're always talking about something like this. Do you have any, from your contacts or from your own uh, mind's eye, are you seeing anything that explains uh, why offense is the way it is in baseball right now? Yeah, I think it's the combination of a few things. I actually read an article today on the baseball and whether there's more drag on it. And it, it wasn't that there's more drag. And, and one hypothesis is the humidor, that last year a humidor was being used in 10 parks. Now it's being used in 30, that that might have some effect on it. Obviously, the science of that is way beyond anything I can understand. But uh, smarter people than me think that's a part of it. I think a big one is because the lockout shortened spring training, and starters are not stretched out at all. So a typical starter, if he would have gone six, maybe now he goes five. If he would have gone five, maybe now he goes four. 
and the bullpens are coming in early. And bullpens are harder to hit than starters third time through the order. We know that. So I think the fact that it's more relief innings and fewer starters innings has made offense harder. And I think each and every year, and the Blue Jays are a good example of this, shifting becomes more and more of a science, and it works. It's taking away more hits than it allows. Uh, you know, now we're seeing what I call the 3-4 offense, right, where the Blue Jays have four outfielders. And Tabby made a great point. It's not just taking away a hit. Four outfielders might turn a double into a single because that corner outfielder is getting into the corner quicker to yep. get the ball back in, right, or, or he's cutting it off because he's closer to the line. So that might stop a guy scoring from first. He's going to have to stop at third on that play. So I think the, how far defense has come has really – has really hurt offense uh, in the last couple of years. And, and you notice a big change even from last year to this year in the way the Blue Jays are positioning. And that might not be in baseball next year. sounds like it's going to be gone and you, you won't be able to shift and, and that sort of thing. But I, I think it's a combination uh, of a lot of things. The numbers always get better as the weather warms up when you get into May and June, and, and I think it will. But I do hope that um, we, we see more offense, more contact, one of the reasons I hope we see it is defense is so much fun. I love defense, and I, and I don't think it gets appreciated as much as it should. And just looking at the road trip, like some of the defensive plays that Chapman made or Espinal made, the play Springer made last night, like Springer's catch to me is as exciting a play as Bichette's home run. I, I really feel that way. It's, it's, it's one of the great things in baseball to see great athletes, because we've never had greater athletes than we do right now, go out and make athletic plays and – um, the more balance can be restored and, and the balls in play and defense becomes a part of it again. I, I think it's a, um, a better product. Uh, but I, I do hope offense comes up a little bit. A 232 batting average in the majors is, is not what we're looking for, I don't think. Dan, good stuff as always, my friend. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Thanks, well, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. That's Thank Dan you. Shulman, TV voice of the Blue Jays. He will, of course, have the call tonight as the Jays play. The Red Sox in the second of four games. Kevin Gossman on the mound for the Blue Jays against Nick Pavetta. And uh, a reminder, also a little bit of news yesterday. Uh, Kevin Biggio went on the COVID IL uh, before the game. Uh, Bowden Francis was called up. And Teoscar Hernandez started what they are calling a hitting progression yesterday. So no definite timetable yet for Teoscar Hernandez's return, but you've got to think that as long as he's doing something involving the oblique and it, and it's not it's not stressing it anymore, um, or I should say doing something uh, involving hitting and, and, and he's feeling fine, you, you've got to think that he's getting closer to returning. And Nate Pearson down at the minor league complex is about ready to get into some uh, get into some rehab games apparently. So all of that portends good news for the Toronto Blue Jays. We have tickets to give away in the next hour. We have the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays to talk to in the next hour. So, yeah, it's going to be going to be a pretty good hour. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan.